Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And welcome to worship at Healthy. It's lovely to see you out this morning. I hope you're all well. And it's great that we're joined together here uh, to worship God in Healthy Church. We're going to begin our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 363. We have a gospel to proclaim. So let's worship God together.
Let's pray together now. Eternal God, whose way and will is that of redeeming love. We gather here today unworthy of that love, but blessed to know that you are for us, that you have chosen us, that you are shaping us into all that you would have us be. Your mercy is without end. Your purposes are sure. Your face is light and life to us. Your eyes tell us the truth about ourselves, even as you place a hand on our shoulder and say, do not be afraid. Thank you for what we have come to know of you for ourselves. The convictions that have settled down in our hearts over the years and are shaping the way that we live. Thank you for the promise of your nearness in the times when we sense it clearly and in the times when it feels like our prayers rise no further than the ceiling and the room of our hearts is empty of everything but need and questions. Father, our moods change like the weather. But you are constant, a rock on which to build our lives, faithful to yourself and all that you have made. Forgive us when we live unmindful of you and reap the whirlwind of our own inconstancy, messing up our own lives and making things difficult for others, failing to thrive. God, who is our beginning and our end, the one we are tending to, the one who has set his love upon us out of sheer grace, we bring you our worship as our offering of thanks for all that you are and all that you are doing for us. We offer you our lives, asking that as we travel with you, we will become more like you. Expand the capacity of our hearts, enlighten our minds, energize our bodies so that we find in following in your way the fulfilled, generous lives that we long to live and embody your good news in a world that so needs to hear it. So hear our prayers because we ask all these things in Christ's name. Praying together in the words he taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom power and the glory forever. Amen. Our reading this morning is taken from John's Gospel, John chapter 2, 
and reading verses 1 to 11. And Doreen Crawford is going to read for us. The Wedding at Cana. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his, and his disciples believed in him. Amen. Thanks, Doreen. Our next hymn is uh, number 700, which is uh, more often thought of perhaps as a wedding hymn, but I thought it would be nice to sing it this morning in the context of that reading we've just heard. Uh, it's called As Man and Woman We Were Made.
Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let's pray. Father, we come to this time knowing that you are here. Help us to be here. Our minds are often so scattered and dispersed by the things that are needing done that it's hard to focus. So we ask that your Spirit will help us this morning to hear your word and hear what you are saying to us through your word. Bring us life through your word this morning as your Spirit brings it home to our hearts. And let us hear what it is that we need to hear today. For we ask it in your name. Amen. So I'm going to begin with a picture which I hope will make you smile. Uh, some of you will remember Katie Walter, who was our uh, summer student from America back in 2015. Well, Katie's big news is that on New Year's Eve, she got engaged to the young man that she's been seeing called Manoj, and they are getting married in April of this year. And it must be true love, I was kidding her on, not just because they're both beaming with happiness in every single photo I've seen of them on Facebook, but Katie has actually started getting into cricket because this is one of Manoj's passions, an American young woman getting into cricket. That can only be true love, I think. It's a measure of how much she wants to, to show that love to him. Sadly, we won't be able to get across uh, for the wedding, which is a shame, uh, because after our summer with Katie, we would have loved to have been there in person to celebrate with him, but uh, we'll be with him in spirit, and I'm sure many of you who knew Katie will be too. Over the years, I've been at probably more than my fair share of weddings, some good and some maybe a little less good. Uh, I well remember very early on in ministry covering uh, for a colleague in Glasgow and having to go and see a couple who were getting married. And they were quite rough and ready, to be honest with you. And uh, I was told that they didn't mind having a hymn in their wedding service, but they didn't want anything that was too Lordy, Lordy, God, God. Fancy saying that to the minister. I don't want anything too Lordy, Lordy, God, God. Uh, and this was the wedding where this, the ceremony started about half an hour late because all the guests had disappeared off to the nearest pub and they literally had to be herded back to the wedding venue before we could start. Years ago when I was doing my chemistry, one of my lab mates, uh, Dougie, kept winding me up uh, good-naturedly about faith. He wasn't a believer, so he'd sidle up to me and he'd whisper, ah, what about the dinosaurs then? What about the dinosaurs? Like, that's going to destroy my faith, right? But years later, after I'd qualified as a minister, Dougie got back in touch asking me to take his wedding. And knowing he was a Rangers fan, I took great pleasure in wearing my green Celtic knotwork clerical stole that I call my Celtic scarf, which I suppose was revenge of a kind. And I'll never forget uh, the wedding photographer who asked me to lie down on my side on the table where the bride and groom were signing the register so we could get the bridesmaids to all lean on me and it would be really funny and his minister did it and his minister was a good laugh and would I do it? And maybe if I'd known them really well, I would have thought about it. But you know, you have to keep some kind of dignity in these settings. Weddings can be a mixed bag. But here's the thing. 
No matter how chaotic or how fraught or how frivolous things get, there's always a moment in the heart of the service which is holy, even if folk wouldn't think about it in those terms. It's that moment where the couple take their vows. The congregation don't need to be told to shush at that point. They know that something special is going on, something that ought to be respected. Because what's being promised there as they take their vows goes way beyond feelings of love, wonderful though those are. What's being promised is the commitment of love for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. That's what the Greeks called agape love, love for love's sake. Love, not just when it's moons in June and roses and tenderness and the thrill of making love, but love when the bills need paid and there's laundry to be done and there are babies to be fed and changed at three in the morning. Love that keeps loving when work is stressful or illness takes a hold or age and gravity finally start to catch up with your body. The writer and the pastor, Fred Beekner, puts it this way. He says, the love that is affirmed at a wedding is not just a condition of the heart, but an act of the will. And the promise that love makes is to will the other's good, even at the expense sometimes of its own good. And that is quite a promise. sure is. So it's small wonder that we hold those moments sacred when we're privileged to witness a couple taking their vows. Now come with me in your imagination to that wedding in Cana all those years ago. See the colours, the vibrancy, the quiet reverence as everybody stills themselves to witness these crucial moments in the lives of this particular young couple standing hand in hand, face to face, before the priest. Scan the crowd. See the smiles and the tears of pride and happiness on the faces of their family friends. See the children's eyes grow wider as they realize that something big, something important is going on here. See the married ones or the once married ones reflecting, taken back to the time of their own weddings and their own vows. And see the, unma the unmarried thinking how grateful they are for the friends who have become they are soulmates. And there amongst that sea of watching faces are Mary and the disciples and, of course, Jesus. How is he looking, do you think, as he watches? How is he feeling? 
Was there a hint of sadness that he wouldn't know love of that kind for himself, which presumably was a choice he made, knowing his destiny? He seemed to be at ease with women. And as the gospel writers tell the story, it's clear that there were several women he could have chosen for a bride if he'd wanted Mary or her sister Martha, Fotini, the Samaritan woman who converted, Mary Magdalene. They all came to love him in their own way, and he loved them too. But although Jesus is often called the bridegroom in the Gospels, and even takes that name for himself sometimes, none of those women he was close to were the one. So where's his bride? Where's the one to whom he is going to give his all? Who is he going to love? For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. Well, the scriptures tell us, and they tell us most clearly in the writings of John, the evangelist. As well as three short letters in the New Testament, John wrote the gospel that bears his name, and also the book of Revelation. And although those latter two are very different in style and content. I'm persuaded by the commentator Peter Lightheart when he suggests that John's gospel and revelation should be taken together and read as a two-part royal romance. John's gospel is all about the preparation of the bridegroom. Jesus' public ministry starts at a wedding. And throughout the gospel, he meets eligible women, but none of them in themselves are his bride. And he dies. And he rises again, and he's perfected as our representative, our new Adam, through his suffering. But still, at the end of the gospel, where's the bride? It's a mystery. He's a bridegroom. Where's the bride? But in Revelation, that mystery is revealed. If John's gospel is about the preparation of the bridegroom... John's revelation is about the preparation of the bride, the company of redeemed humanity, of which the church is the first fruits, the first responders, so to speak. Who does Jesus pledge himself to, give himself for, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health? He gives himself to all who will receive him. They are the ones that he has set his love upon. Revelation is well known as a complex book, but what it's portraying is the final weeding out and destruction of evil for all time and the glorious fulfillment of the times in what is called the marriage feast of the Lamb. It's mentioned several times in Revelation. So Jesus' ministry begins at a wedding and it ends at a wedding, his own wedding. Revelation 19, 6 to 8 says this, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. 
To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Who is this bride? The one on whom Christ has set his agape love, his self-giving love. It's not Martha or Mary. It's not Fotini or Mary Magdalene. It's all of them and more. The bride is the perfected church. It's you and me and every single person that Christ loved and gave himself for, even unto death. Revelation gives us this vision of a purified church, and that's what it will be when Christ is all in all. But we know that we are far from that now. And Revelation is realistic about that. Do you remember the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, the letters to the seven churches that we looked at a few years ago? And come to think of it, remember every other letter to every church in the New Testament that was written. None of them were perfect. All of them needed to change in different ways, sometimes drastically change. Some of them provoked God to anger. But all of them were still loved with God's self-giving agape love the love that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13 is patient and kind and not proud and not self-seeking. The love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the love with which the bridegroom loves the bride even before she attains her perfection. The wedding at Cana is remembered because of the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine. And we've spoken about that many times. But in the context of what I'm saying today, the wine that we need to remember is the wine that we drink in every communion service. Remembering Jesus' self-offering love for the life of the world. And remembering what he said, having shared the cup with his disciples at the Last Supper. And we often miss this. When we read the liturgy, we, we, we skip over it. We don't really hear it. But Jesus says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. He's waiting for the final wedding feast before he'll lift a glass in celebration again. He's waiting for us. And every time we lift a glass in the context of communion, we're not only looking backwards to his death, we're looking forwards to the consummation of all things in the marriage feast of the Lamb, when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, because the old order of things will have completely passed away. The bridegroom is waiting for us at the altar. And his heart is burning with love for his bride. And that love in itself is a kind of judgment. Because such love leaves us with only two choices. To return it with joy and wonder and thanks. Or to turn away from it 
to lesser things. The gospel I want you to hear today is that we are already Christ's beloved. May we live into and respond to that love now that we might be ready to know its fullness in eternity. Amen. We're going to take a moment now to listen to a song that I had on heavy rotation in the build-up to Christmas. It's one of the most poetic and beautiful Christmas songs I've ever heard. And part of its power is that it doesn't just tell us about the baby being born. It reminds us of what the baby being born was due to accomplish. And it dovetails very well with what I've been trying to say this morning. It's a jazz piece. And there are a couple of references to jazz greats in the lyrics that you might miss. Satchmo is a nickname for Louis Armstrong. And Thelonious Monk was a jazz pianist, second only to Duke Ellington in terms of his uh, amazing uh, number of recorded numbers. So this is uh, a piece that's called The Trumpet Child, and it's by a band called Over the Rhine. Destroy 
And Sharon is going to come now and lead us in our prayers for others. Let us pray. Father of love, hear our prayers for others. We have heard how Jesus showed his love for humanity, how he took on the role of the bridegroom, and the marriage ceremony can be seen as a symbol of the love that Jesus has for us all. Help us to be more like him. Help us to value each person as in the commandment to love thy neighbour as thyself. Guide and help us to promote dignity to all human life. Father, give us the strength to sustain us, the wisdom to guide us, and the motivation to show your love to both those we know and those whom we will never meet. We ask that you show your mercy on the homeless. Help them in their despair to gain hope and help. We ask for your blessing on the lonely who long for a kind word for families struggling to make ends meet, particularly as the cost of living rises and job security and unemployment cause tension and anxiety and love is difficult to find. We ask for your blessing on those who mourn and those in hospital, for the selflessness of medical and nursing staff who day after day work to help those who are sick. Father, we ask for your mercy and love as we see increasing heartbreak and suffering, as refugees are caught up in war and conflict around the world. It becomes harder to ignore the plight of those we do not know, as pictures of dying children of hunger in Yemen, Afghanistan, Ethiopia, and on the border of Belarus become regular topics on our TV screens. We pray for the selflessness of aid workers who put their own lives at risk, that you will keep them in your love and care. Merciful God, you have called people to care for the poor, the downtrodden, and those who are suffering. Be with all volunteers and workers as they go about their duties today. Help them listen compassionately to the people in need of their services. Aid them in discerning what support and guidance each case needs. Lift them up when they are struggling to see so much pain and suffering and misery and have to make stark choices. Renew them when they start to feel burned out. Give them the zeal when their enthusiasm for the work starts to wane. Help them not to become cynical and jaded, but more empathetic and hopeful. We pray that they will look to you for sustenance, faith and generosity and selfless giving that you will help them bring the person of Christ to all they encounter. We pray that you will build up the kingdom of God by their words, actions, and love towards those in need. St. Paul writes in Corinthians of the importance of faith, hope, and charity, the greatest of these being charity. Charity being the giving of help to those in need, kindness, tolerance, and compassion. Help us, Lord, to develop and use these qualities to help those around us. Help us to question ourselves about what we can do. Is it by donating money, volunteering our time, 
and offering our prayers for others. Help us to be mindful with our con within our congregation to keep each other safe during this pandemic and offer support where we can. Lord, we ask for your help to promote peace and integrity through the everyday challenges we meet, knowing that we have two powerful weapons, love and prayer. Prayer will always be more powerful than fear. There are so many needs that each human life has. You know and understand them all. Surround humankind with your love. Help us take comfort from your power and greatness. Renew our strength and help us always to show gratitude for all the things you have already done. Pour out on us the power of your love. Your love is unconditional love. Prayer in itself is love in action. Help us to have a deeper connection with you through prayer. You gave us the greatest gift, your son, who came to live amongst us. Such love that Jesus gave up his life for us. Merciful Father, we look to you to end the misery within the world you created, end conflict, heal relationships and divisions. We ask that you guide and give wisdom to governments who make decisions that impact on so many lives for the, them to be of the greater good. We ask for your blessing on our minister Paul, his family and the congregation. Let the light of love and understanding glow in all the dark places of our world, bringing love, friendship and peace until we meet our bridegroom when our time comes. We ask all this in your dear son's name, our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, son. We close our worship this morning in the words of hymn number 361, Forgiveness is Your Gift.
And now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.